Connor's tea. How are ye? Welcome back to the Candlelit Tales podcast and back to our series on mythic places. In this story, we are staying on the mountainside at Sleeve Mish, but following a different character. This is the story of Scotia. This podcast is brought to you by our supporters at Patreon. You can join them over at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales or make a one-time donation to the PayPal button on our website. Like, share and above all, enjoy. And for now, Aaron, tell us a story. Scothia Near a river flowing around a bend in a green, ragged hill on the most westerly peninsula by the Slevemish Mountains, surrounded by jagged cliffs on both the southern and western shore of a small, fertile island in the north-easterly part of Europe. There is a grave, a circle of rocks, with a tomb inside it. A burial place for a queen, maybe. A princess, a daughter of a pharaoh. Her name is Scotia. And the sun that shines on the stones above this soil, near the river above by the shore, and the same sun that shines in the lands that she comes from, much further to the south and to the east, the same sun that shone on the lands that knew its name was Ra. He burned the landscape. The huge river which ran through these lands had a fertile plain surrounding it, fed from the energy of the sun, but in the higher, drier lands. The sun baked hot those sands, and those that saw themselves as gods built great tombs for their safe passage to the afterlife, the life under life itself. The great majestic pyramids that sprung up amongst the dunes with the sun god Ra, eclipsing and silhouetting them as he rose above each day with his gaze red hot. Prosperity leads to longevity, and this leads to culture and creation of many great things, and over the centuries the peoples in these lands created music and poetry, art and craft with new technologies that explored their relationships with the stars above them. They reached a point of excellence and perfection in science and in art, in writing and in creating tombs. Tombs for their kings and queens, the honorific, and those that could be led past death's door and through to their final voyage across an unknown sea and into the underworld, ruled over by Osiris. The pharaohs were revered as godlike people, and their millennia of rule, while prosperous beyond belief, saw so much bloodshed, so much that the river Nile might have turned red. 
with all the blood and battles and conquests and acts of slavery undertaken by those all-too-powerful pharaohs that ruled with iron fists, always watched from above by Ra, their sun god and deity. Kings and queens such as Akhenaten and Nefertiti, names we still know. They had children, Akinsanamen, known also as Scotia or Scota. She married a fearless leader named Tutankhamun, who died and was buried. But Scotia remained fearless and powerful, so she married another named Ai, also known as Galus. Now, the story goes that at a particular time a snake slithered along the ground and bit Galus's ankle and his wife Scotia. It was said that she had the power of the gods within her and using that power she drew the poison from his ankle and in doing so revived her husband back from the brink of death to breathe in new life. The news of his survival was not well received by many. There were others, pharaohs from different lands, who had been watching with greed in their hearts and lust and desire for much more than they already had. Blood would shed once more. Even when Galus recovered, they all conspired to usurp power from Scotia and her husband and exile them from the lands of the pharaohs. The price of saving her husband's life was for them and their followers the Scoti to become outcasts in their own lands. They would have to find a new home. Resolute and fearless, Scotia stared at the sun, stared at the sun god Ra. She defied him to kill her, to strike her down. She raised her head higher and demanded death if the sun god wanted her to die. To her surprise, she survived. So she swore she would go and create a new life, under the same sun in a new place, giving birth to sons and daughters and a whole race of peoples who would follow after her and be known as the Scoti, to take her name as their tribe and be forever remembered and revered. The ever-watchful eye of Ra saw all. Yet he made no answer, gave no sound, and denied her nothing. So, with the many hands of her followers to help, they built great ships and loaded them with provisions. They brought with them anything they needed to make a new home. Weapons, metals, axes and tools, grains and whatever they may need to make a new life in a new land. And they would bring with them knowledge. They would bring with them knowledge, knowledge of advanced methodologies and technologies that had grown in this great land that they would leave behind that they once called home. They brought themselves, and they brought Scotia, as she sought to find herself in a new land surrounded by waves. As the exiles of Egypt embarked with their fleet of ships, with an army of people, all following her to find a better life, a new land. She felt the warm rays of the sun upon her, and she knew 
would follow her too, as she would always stare up and remember Ra. She would stare sometimes unblinkingly straight into the sun, and she would say, I am sun, I am, I am, I am. And she would stare at the waves, counting nine waves passing her boat, and she would see herself in the water washing all around her, and she would feel held, supported, and secure by the wood on the boat beneath her feet, sailing towards an uncertain destiny. I am, she would repeat, I am the sun, I am the waves, I am this boat beneath my feet. And after a long and dangerous voyage, where many moons waxed and waned, and were full with high tides pushing their boats about the seas and oceans, and in many times Scotia may have been born again in a different form with the same name, she found herself brought all the way to the westerly coast of Europe, and they say the Scoti landed and stayed for a time there. With the sun bearing down on Scotia, she remembered the old tales and old gods of her old country once before. Osiris and Iris, who bore Horus with the falcon head, the bringer of war and destruction with the many dead. And then she thought of Seth, the harbinger of chaos and destruction. Memories of blood-soaked rivers in the harsh landscape with the great temples and giant stone tombs. She shook herself out of a memory she was not sure was hers, flooding through her mind of a land of a different time. Scotia was with her people, the Scoti, seeking still a new life, a new fertile land. She was never far away from death. Those that had died along The journey already needed to be buried for their final voyage in a grave not unlike a tomb. Without the giant stones and many thousands of hands to move them, she designed another form of tomb. She buried a boat carrying their dead to make sure they had a chance to cross over the sea between worlds into their life under life. But in death there is rebirth, and she knew a new land was not far away. She would find her emerald island somewhere nearby. Her sons, Aberfin and Amergin, she was gifted from her marriage with Mill. Perhaps they tallied too long in this time before they came to an island. Perhaps Mill's brother, the old and somewhat frail Ith, had a curiosity on him that could not sit still. Perhaps... He was right to go and leave behind the Scothi and find this emerald island, for he wanted to scout ahead and send messages back to Scothi and Scothia. But when he did not return, Scothia sent her sons, Aberfin and Amergin, to go out and find him. And so it was. The sons of Mill left Scothia. They followed where they had thought their father's brother had gone And when they came to a small island with no name, they found there three godlike women, one after another, who all proclaimed the same. A battle was surely to come, the Battle of Kaltu, 
and if they wanted their help in the battle to come, perhaps they would exchange the naming of this land after one of them in the return. They would help them in the battle that was sure to come with the final fight against the Tua de Danon. The sons of Mill listened to these pale-faced beautiful beings one after another, the strange story coming from these strange-tongued women who told them the story of how their father's brother Ith had landed and met the three kings of the Tuatha Makul, Makekt, Makrania, the son of the wood, the son of the sun, and the son of the plough. When their father's brother Ith had simply said this land was so fertile and green and beautiful and serene, paying a compliment to the kings of the land, they had feared this man was coming to take what had been praised for his own. So they killed him before he could return alone and bring back a force they would have to reckon with. Aberfin and Amergin sailed back to Scotia to tell her the tale of the death of her husband's brother Ith. And when the sons of Mill retold this story to Scotia, she became furious. She was hurt and angry for this insult, and she thought of the old sun god, a faint distant memory, a memory passed on to her from a mother before. She decided she would face these godlike people, and with the energy and power of the sun that glowed in her eyes, she demanded once more for Ra to strike her down, and if he did not, she would go to war. She called all the Scoti to gather around her, and she said to them, Prepare for the battle to come. She thought of Horus with his falcon head, the god of war, from the land before, who would lead them to the many, many dead they would see before them. These two a day, the godlike people in the new land, they could be no more fierce and furious than the gods she had left behind in the fertile plains near the Nile. And so Scotia had no fear, and she came to Ireland with her people, the Scoti, to be remembered after their battle. They reached the shores of this emerald island, just as Bamba, Fola, and Ero had prophesied. A brilliant battle would take place, but not just yet. Because in meeting the two a day, who had a trick up their sleeves. When the Scoti came ashore, they were greeted by these Tua Dei Danon, the godlike people, and they agreed to give them seven days to prepare for the fight, as the Tua Dei had not been sure if they would be greeted by war on this particular day, and it was only fair to have some form of preparation. Scothia was feeling generous and decided to hold off on their attack to give these godlike people a chance at least before they brought them to their knees. So they went back to their boats, and this was when a terrible storm hit the Scothi fleet, pushing them back out to sea, with their sons, Aberfin and Amrigan, all being tossed around in the boat with the rest of the brilliant army, until Amrigan, the wisest of Mill's sons, and the most like his mother, Scothia. Amrigan decided to climb up the high mast in the ship where the sails were lashed by the winds of this great storm, but as he reached the top, he stared in disbelief as the winds were calm up high. Only hitting the boat below, he saw the massive storm clouds were pouring out from the land itself. 
but he knew this was a magic spell then, a magic storm, brought on by the two a day who tricked them to go out to sea. And they looked at his mother who looked at the sun between the dark clouds, the waves in the water, knocking the boat beneath her feet. He could almost hear her say her constant refrain, I am the sun, I am the waves, I am the boat beneath my feet. And so Amrigin began his own prayer, a prayer to this island, a prayer to ask for permission for them to land, as he began to say, I am wind and sea, I am ocean wave, I am roar of sea, I am stag of seven times, I am hawk on cliff, I am shining tear of the sun. And with that, the storm the two a day had created faded away. And so the Scothi, led by Scothia, were able to land on this island's shore once more. Some say the battle they fought was not a battle at all. The two a day, they saw these people come with weapons they'd never seen before, brilliant and beautiful large iron spears, ornate with gold-wielding an army with dark-haired, brilliant, bold-eyed soldiers of bronze, supple skin, adorned with garments and gowns, shields and armors that were so splendid they had never seen the likes of them before. And some say the two a day opened up a veil between worlds that day, knowing their time had come and stepped inside and through that veil into the other world. Some say there was a great battle on the east coast, the Battle of Taltu, where the sons of Mil, with Aber, Finn, and Amrigin, who led the Scothi to victory over the Tuatha'i. And yet others say that there was far more than one battle after that day. Some say the storm blew Scothia's fleet far off course down to the southwest coast to a peninsula below the Slevemish Mountain. And there in the valleys between the hills surrounded by sea, one of the greatest battles was ever fought. The Battle of Mish, where Scothia led the charge. High on horseback, she charged at these godlike people, riding ahead of her people, leading the way as she rode her horse across the wind-swept land, chopping men down, calling to the sun, and seeing the old god now shine upon this new land she knew would be her people's home. She spoke to herself at that moment, reminding herself who she was, where she had come from, and who she was bringing with her. She was Scothia. She was the sun. She was the waves. She was the ground beneath her feet. And she was the leader of the Scothi, and the Scothi would remain. Victory was theirs, but in the last surge, her horse jumped clearing a ridge. She was knocked from her horse by a stone flung for her, and she broke her neck. But the battle was already won, and when her sons found her body, in keeping with their old customs, the old tradition of burying their beloved dead, they carried the pharaoh's daughter, their queen, their Scothia, to a nearby mountain, and up towards a stream until they found a place where they could create a great stone tomb under the earth just like in the old country 
and there they made her tomb, building a stone circle from this land. The stones of the circle brought from near and far piled high to circle around the source of the river where the tomb was below of their mother, at the top of this mountain that lies close to the sea, overlooking the beauty and wind-swept westerly coast of the island that now has its name, after the godlike being her sons had met, the godlike being Eru, Bamba, and Fola. And there some say the remains of Ankensanamon, Scothia, Scotha, stayed. Headless, decapitated, and marked with a stone circle. Egyptian hieroglyphs might have been etched on those dark stones if the wind and rain had unwashed them away. Near the stones, the gold torques were found, some say, a remnants and artifacts of a different land from a long, long time ago. And those Scoti, those people that landed, were known for a long time as the Scoti, before they were known ever as the Irish. They might even have made their way to high-hilled Alban, or Scotland, as it's known today after the people with the similar name who came from Egypt, who followed the daughter of a pharaoh who we know as Scothia. This podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan. You can find out more about us on our website, candlelittales.ie. And we're on all social media, so like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Candlelittales or send us a message or get onto our mailing list. For more videos and live streams, like and subscribe to our Candlelit Tales YouTube channel, which now has a Candlelit Tales for Kids playlist. Hashtag CandleLittleTales. Liking and subscribing to our channel really helps us grow and get to more people. And if you're able to give us more direct support, you can chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash CandlelitTales or make a one-time donation through the PayPal button on our website. We also do really like to hear back from you with your questions and requests. So please feel free to contact us directly or leave your question in the comments section below. Because what we really want to do is get these stories out there, share them with as many people as possible. So anything you can do to help, we really appreciate. And we really appreciate you listening. Gurmila Magar.